Welcome to Bark's podcast, featuring news, interviews and information from the pet industry, bringing you news about latest events and seminars, as well as interviews from some of the best in force-free and behavioral science-based training. We aim to create a fun, educational and informative podcast that's member-focused. So come along and join us. Bring your questions, expertise and a dash of humour. Since 2012, Barks from the Guild, available at www.barksfromtheguild.com, has been helping pet care professionals stay up to date with current research, methodologies and thinking so they can help more pets and their people. Barks covers all things animal behaviour and training and pet care, including canines, felines, equine, avian, pocket pets and exotics, as well as monthly or annual features on business sales, marketing and consulting. In a world of informational overload, subscribe to a magazine that you can trust for accurate and scientifically sound education that not just pet professionals enjoy, pet guardians have come to trust it too. And all of this is yours for free, so subscribe today to get your free lifetime digital access to PDF downloads. www.barksfromtheguild.com At the minute. Yeah. Hello, this is Nikki Tadra PPG, and I am here with Julie Brewer. Hello, Julie, how are you? Can you hear me? Hi. Yes. So, um, we were going to... Great. Um, as usual, I have been jinxed with the, tech, the technolo technology bug. Like last time I was on here a few weeks ago, I had problems with Dr. Hannah. Um, I, you know, we use technology for so many things now. I think it's potluck whether it's going to work or not. So thank you for your patience. That's all right. I um. Yeah, we've all had the same, aren't we, using the internet now for our yeah. consults and things. We all have yeah. problems. So, Julie, you are, you're in the UK. You are. Okay, yeah. where, where, where are you in the UK? Lincolnshire. So, okay. um, I think probably most people around the world will recognise the word hull. Okay. But I'm actually Grimsby, which is the fishing okay. town, which is a bit further down from Hull. Right. Okay, all right. Which is York Yorkshire? No, isn't I thought Grimsby was Yorkshire. Is it? I'm I am from Yorkshire, okay. but um, no, Grimsby is Lincolnshire. And okay. if you use the word Yorkshire, oh, okay, would get someone yeah. very upset. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I was raised in Cheshire, and and when people ask me where I'm from, my husband says Manchester because it was the nearest largest city and I scowl and I scowl at him because I was not from Manchester. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but we get really protective, don't we, over where we're from. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah. All right. So um, thank you for joining me today. Um, the whole purpose of doing these chats and chuckles is basically just to chat and chuckle and learn from each other. So you've got quite an interesting background. So tell me a little bit about your background and your qualifications, because you're a veterinary nurse, but you're also, you have a master's degree in behavior. So you've got lots of really cool skills that all sort of merge together. So tell, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, I always wanted to work with animals. I can remember being four and saying it out loud I wanted originally to be a vet obviously at four years of age you don't know what that consists of um, and due to financial reasons I, I grew up on uh, state benefit okay. and they we're not able at that point to get grants to do veterinary sciences right so I gave up on the idea of working with animals and actually became um an officer in the Department of Health and Social Security handing out security money checks to people right. that were on hard times. Yeah. Um, and then this advert came up for a veterinary nurse, and I mm. honestly at that point didn't know what on earth one of those was and what right. they did. Yeah. And I imagined that you just cuddled animals, mm -hmm. you know. Um, 
and I can remember my first few days somebody handing me a thermometer and asking me to put it up an animal's bottom and and absolutely having a meltdown because you know that uh, gosh I had no idea I was going to be doing medical stuff Mm-hmm. So anyway, obviously, at, at some point, a couple of years later, got my veterinary nurse qualification and realised that I had a bit of a talent, not mm-hmm. only for um, nursing, but also for learning. And right. then did my advanced diploma in veterinary nursing, in surgical mm-hmm. nursing, mm-hmm. Um, and went off to work in referral practice in Birmingham. And when I was in Birmingham, I had a lot of time to go and look at other courses. And um, in Birmingham, everything's just around the corner. So it was really easy to just yeah. nip off and go and see yeah. somebody learn something else. Yeah. And I was exposed to um, a few different behaviorists. And I was lucky enough to um, attend uh, quite a few, There's all sorts of, of what I now know to be quite high status trainers you know well-renowned trainers it was just lucky really um Mm -hmm. and uh, then developed this taste for that so in spite of the fact that I was working in in referral practice in orthopedic surgical nursing Mm -hmm. I started to develop an interest in behavior right and when I moved back to my local town I um also got a dog who then had a a behavior issue Mm -hmm. which my trainers dog trainers that I was sort of accessing at that time for information were still teaching quite punishing methods um you know it was normal I'm quite old so it was normal and and I don't no no harm or foul against them that's what they knew and that's what they were teaching me but this dog wasn't getting better so his name was Tyke and he was he got to the point where he'd he'd bitten people um and I thought this isn't working I need to learn more so I started back on this track of getting this interest in behavior and training Mm -hmm. and he improved and the main reasons he improved was Mm -hmm. my change in the way I was handling him and training him um and then I got another dog uh who'd been severely abused he came through the RSPCA uh he was a case dog and he he couldn't be handled he would just he would just bite you rather than have you touch him and if you did manage to get hold of him he'd twist your fingers off with the collar so yeah yeah it was you know very yeah. very difficult and that's when I um really I think got into studying behavior right. properly and I did the diploma um the coat diploma uh and he I mean he's my little love little spring um and then I had a bit of a breakaway because I was back into veterinary nursing and and wanted to have children and kind of had a bit of a rest I guess from Mm -hmm. the whole behavior and training thing um and was seeing cases but not really learning anything new so I had a bit Mm -hmm. of a rest and then one of my friends said, why don't you do the master's? And I'm like, nah, because uh, I suffer very badly from what people have recently labeled or in my, I, I didn't know it, but imposter syndrome. You know, I don't, yes. I don't rate myself at all. Yeah. Um, and she said, well, why don't you do the master's? And I'm like, well, I've never done a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got no idea of any of that. Mm-hmm it's not going to be possible it won't be possible for somebody like me to to manage that and she talked me into um applying for it and just go for it try it and I did and they they said they wanted me and I'm assuming you know they needed a gray-haired old lady as part of their intake to add up the numbers um and obviously I loved it I'm surprised I was surprised that I had actually maintained my knowledge relatively well and that was at Lincoln that was at Lincoln University was it the master's yeah, that you did absolutely. yeah 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 that was with Dr Daniel yeah, Mills with Daniel Mills yeah yeah and um so so I 
I felt quite comfortable in it actually you know it was it does push you it does push you a lot I learned an awful lot um but the base knowledge I was pleased to find that I wasn't so much of as an, an imposter as I thought I yeah. was um I, I would love to do a webinar so yeah that's that's I, where I am now we, I'd, I'd love to do a webinar to explore sorry that. darling say again I'd love to do a webinar uh, with several people and just to really dig deeper into that imposter syndrome because it always fascinates me how the really competent people have imposter yeah. syndrome and the people that don't have the skills are out there putting themselves forth as being the experts. Mm -hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, could, I could be really upset with myself about the amount of times in the past I've used accepted knowledge mm -hmm. to, to train and to pass that knowledge on to other people and yeah at some points honestly believed mm -hmm. that what I was doing was right you know yeah. and yeah. you could I could kick myself yeah for for what I've taught other people on occasion mm -hmm. and for what I did to my own dogs well and I, I, I I think we have to have sympathy and yeah. I, I you know the fact that I've experienced that. You have to have sympathy for people who are still using the wrong methods or teaching mm -hmm. the wrong things. It's because they don't know themselves yet. And I think if you if you attack, <clears throat> you can put them onto the defensive, and you're never going to get them onto our side. You're never yeah. going to get them to to start yeah. seeing. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a huge believer in. Um, First of all, I don't believe that most people that are using forceful methods do it because they want to hurt their pets. I just don't believe that. I, 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 I do believe, as with any statistical scenario, that there are certain people as professionals that know what they're doing causes fear or pain and don't care because they're just purely result-driven. But, but, but the majority of people, if we can engage them and talk to them and find those areas where there are commonalities. I think we have a potential opportunity to help bring more and more people to um, positive reinforcement training. And it, there's nothing that upsets me more when I see people online just berating and bashing and insulting other people because it doesn't, whether that's what you truly feel or believe, it doesn't work. If your end goal, if your end goal is to change somebody else's mind, it does not work. It just doesn't. No, it doesn't. And I mean, I, I didn't, unfortunately, have exposure to somebody to teach me the positive mm -hmm. methods. I had to go Mm -hmm. to and find you know yeah. I had to I mean I think Ian Dunbar was one of the first people who who started yeah. and I know that he's not yeah. necessarily seen as a as a purely positive trainer now but mm -hmm. in comparison with where I was mm -hmm. when I first yeah. was exposed yeah. to him it was yeah. a, it was a complete change yeah um and the other thing I I always bear in mind when I when I do have a client who's been taught that they have to dominate their dog or they've been given advice that they've got to punish mm -hmm. this or punish that I think back to the time when Ian said to me you need to do this to change this and mm -hmm. my brain just went that's not going to work I, I completely mm -hmm. cut it out you know yeah yeah and it took me two years to get back to the stage through my own learning and through exposing myself to um, newer and, you know, well, older, older knowledge that had been pushed away. You know, all this stuff was around in the 50s. Yeah. We knew yeah. that being, you know, but so it took me two years for that, for that information to finally settle in and for me to finally start thinking, you know, why didn't I do that? So yeah. if I if my if my client pushes back against me, I'm not going to try and force them. What I will say is, yes, I know I was exactly the same. Right, right. And well, and I, I I'm and glad I, I'm glad that I've had that experience because yeah. I then I find it easy to empathise. 
Yeah. I think as well, um, I had a conversation with Kathy Seydal as part of the Geek Week, <coughs> well, um, eight, eight, nine weeks ago. And we were laughing, excuse me, I'm just going to cough. <coughs> we were laughing about the fact that we call it behavior modification. Many people now move to call it behavior change because actually what Kathy was saying that she had got from, don't remember his name, one of her colleagues, is that we're not actually, we're not changing behaviors, we're changing environments. And by changing the environmental conditions, we can then control and manipulate behavior. Now, I had an epiphany when Kathy said that, not because, because I've always believed that. I've, I've always been very cognizant of the fact that much of what we do is managing antecedents. I recognize that. And for many of our clients, we set them up to do that because they don't have the time or the motivation to go through a full behavior change program. So often we are just changing environmental conditions. But where the epiphany came for me is the very first document that I wrote for PPG that went on our website in 2012 spoke about the need to persuade positively and to engage and to talk to people that didn't agree with us. It was never the mandate of PPG to be out there holier than thou saying that we're better or we know better. That was never the mission. And we've struggled. We've always struggled with that. And, and, we've, and we struggle because we're always asking the question, how can we do better? How can we better reach people? But when Kathy said that to me, here's what I thought to myself. If we are saying to ourselves that we have to explain to our clients that often we just need to work on changing the environment to change the, the conditions that elicit or provoke behavior. What we need to do as positive reinforcement trainers is change the environment that we're working in when we're trying to manage the behavior of other trainers that are not fully aligned with us. So we know that being on Facebook and getting into arguments does not work. We know that. When we talk to people that have successfully crossed over, they've done it through kindness, through somebody taking time to show them, to work with them, to move with them at their own speed. So one of the things that I want to do with PPG this year is to say to ourselves, we've now got seven or eight years of data in terms of how we've been trying to change the behavior of other professionals. Maybe we need to stop and freeze frame what we're doing and think about how we can change the environment that we are operating within with them to help change their behavior. Because I think we need to not only be kind, but we need to think about the fact that if we don't change the operating environment, there's not gonna be any motivation to change behavior. And I think that is a conversation that could go on for hours. And I think it would be, how, how, how fun would it be to talk with a bunch of trainers that are not all positive reinforcement trainers and talk about, as a group, how we could set those environmental conditions so that we can find more common ground? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Absolutely. And they, um, <clears throat> oh, they, they're so, people are threatened, aren't they? I mean, you, 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 question somebody's knowledge yeah. Yeah. and they'll immediately shut down and mm -hmm. I think even it would be it would be wonderful it would be absolutely amazing to think that by doing that by getting people together by allowing them to feel safe mm -hmm. that you could yeah. change how they were teaching yeah um it's just and it yeah absolute dream definitely yeah, yeah. And I, I, mean, I wish there'd been somebody there oh, for me. I really do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember I first started dog training in 2000. I was living in Hawaii. I was managing a five-star resort hotel. And I was just finishing my master's degree. And I got a puppy and suddenly went, what on earth have I done? Um, and the trainer that I called is a member of PPG, Tammy. And I basically called her and said, I have found myself with an aggressive dog. You need to come and help me. And it was a bloody nine-week-old puppy. I mean, for God's sake, it wasn't aggressive. It was a puppy. Um, and she was so empathetic and so kind and so patient. 
that I was brought into dog training and also had been a marine trainer. So it was all um, shaping and operant conditioning and positive reinforcement. So I was never introduced to the sort of the dark side for want of a better expression, um, which you may not, have you spent any time in the States? Have you been here or spent no, time? No, no, okay. unfortunately. It, right. Well, the, the operator, that's probably not a good question to ask today, actually, given what's going on here right now. But um, when I went to the UK last year, because I do go back most years, um, I'm always pleasantly surprised by what I see there. Because I don't think there is the same, and not just because of um, population density, but I think um, I think people in general, I have to be careful what I say here. I want to be honest, but I don't want to insult anybody. I think we have a different relationship with dogs in the UK. I think growing up as a child, we, my parents took us to the pub on a Sunday afternoon and there were bloody dogs everywhere because everybody took their dog. I mean, that was the environment we grew up in. And that's, that doesn't happen so much in the States. I think um, dogs are not as welcome in as many places. So I think the Brits do have a unique relationship with their animals. I might be wrong. That's my, that is purely my opinion. Um, so even as a very naive dog owner, I had a problem dog. But what I did know was I was never going to do anything that was scary or punishing. And I couldn't even define that. I couldn't say to somebody, I'm not going to use aversives. But I did know that I wasn't going to physically harm this puppy or shout at it. Um, and it wasn't because I thought I knew better. It's just because I just wasn't prepared to do that. Um, so I think culturally there are differences as well. I mean, I was very excited to go to Richmond Park and see hundreds of people walking dogs. And I didn't see a prong collar or a choke collar. Most of them were on harnesses. I mean, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And But then you get, unfortunately... There are trainers who will try and bring those things into the UK. You know the yeah, say prong collars yeah. and, and yeah. Yeah. e collars and um and <clears throat> because the British maybe haven't been exposed to it as much and mm -hmm. we all let's face it have been trained to like the word <laughs> new. Yeah, you know they'll yeah. come in with it as um, a new technique and yeah. because it does appear. Mm -hmm. to have instant right. effects, so instant gratification right. for the owners. Yeah. Then yeah, we have we have yeah. had even and, and this is mm -hmm. quite a, a you know it's not a very dense population where I live, but the but even here I've mm -hmm. seen people and, and heartbreaking. One of my puppy clients, I saw him when he was a teenager, mm -hmm. came into the vets for for treatment and he was wearing a prong collar mm -hmm. and I thought well <clears throat> that's heartbreaking to me because obviously I thought I'd started you off yeah. well mm -hmm. I didn't get to see them through into teenage and maybe if I had have been able to at the time right. maybe I'd have made a difference but yeah. You know. yeah well but you know I mean one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of um, dog trainers training other people's dogs, and I love um, Veronica Butel from Dog Tech and Gina, um, so aligned with so much of what they say. I mean, they taught a lot of people don't like the idea of handing a dog over to a trainer, and they don't because historically it was sort of the trainers that were using shock collars that were taking them into these boot camp type scenarios. But at the Dogsmith, we've been doing board and trains since 2012, no, probably before that. And having really good success because the reality is that some dog owners don't have time and they don't have the motivation. And they're more than happy to pass that responsibility with a big chunk of change to a professional to handle the problem. And as a community of positive reinforcement trainers, if we're not offering those services, then what other option do pet dog owners have? They have to send them to the boot camps. Yeah. So I, don't, I sometimes don't think we do ourselves any favors because sometimes we can be a little bit judgmental. Well, if you have a dog, you should want to train it. Well, a lot of people have children and they raise them with nannies or at boarding school. Now, you might not philosophically agree with that, but that is certainly a viable option. 
um, or the child goes to, you know, kindergarten. I mean, I, my mother was a career woman. I was sent to nursery school at two years of age and had a false birthday created to get me into the system, which I found out many years later. So, you know, where there's a will, there, there is a way. Um, and I think we have to be more responsible as a community about recognizing that dogs, I mean, anyone that's got a, had a puppy that hasn't had a puppy, I had a puppy two years ago, hadn't had a puppy for God knows 15 years. And suddenly you go, oh my God, how do my clients deal with this? With all the yeah. skills that we have and the knowledge and the management ability and the equipment, how on earth do, do puppy owners deal with it? It is not easy raising a puppy. It's not easy having a dog. And, and if you're honest, even as, as we are, you know, mm -hmm. the most positive people with regards to training, you do lose your temper. Well, we're you know, human. You've got we're to be human. honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and I and I, again, and, yeah. and I think that because let's keep it real, you know, that, mm -hmm. that you do, and you can then say to your client, Look, you're still going to be a human, you're mm -hmm. still going to have yeah. those emotional responses when you get hurt, mm -hmm. when your puppy bites you, yeah. you know, when you're feeling frustrated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but you've got to really remember that that if you do react that way then you are doing damage mm -hmm. to your relationship to your mm -hmm. friendship you are modeling an mm -hmm. aggressive behavior so mm -hmm. that your puppy's more likely in the yeah. future to use aggressive behavior yeah. yeah and um you know but i can hold my hands up and say look i know i'm i've been there i know exactly yeah. how i feel right I was I was talking to a and colleague. Here's what we're going to do about it. Right. But yeah, I agree. Giving them to a dog trainer to train. Yes, there's always been a stigma, especially yeah. in the UK, because it did tend to yeah. be. Um, and there's day training now. I mean, look at the wonderful success you can have with day training, where you go into the client's home once a day and train the dog. Um, I mean, there's so many options now. So so many options. Um. I was talking to a colleague of mine a couple of weeks ago has a puppy and I was actually um, giving her some support in the same way that another friend of mine had given me support when I got my puppy. And I mean, I was admittedly, I was bloody stupid because I picked up my puppy way too early because I was in on crutches with my leg in, in a plaster cast from having had surgery. And my husband just looked at me and said, you're ridiculous, this is ridiculous. Because I was sleeping on the sofa so I could take this puppy out at night. I mean, the whole thing was not well organized. And I fell into the trap of, oh, this will be easy, I've been there, done this, this will be easy. Anyway, where I was going with this story is as follows, that we've got to also be honest enough with our clients to say, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel upset. These are normal feelings. And I, I haven't raised children. I can't imagine what raising children would be like. Um, but raising a puppy is very, very difficult. It's very time consuming. It requires consistency and patience. And when eight o'clock at night, when puppy suddenly has its witching hour and you've done a 12 hour day in the office and you've fed your family and you've done your laundry and you want to sit down and watch, I don't know, James Herrier on the TV, the last thing you need is a puppy that is howling and screaming and playing up. It's hard. Um, and my friend said to me, there's nothing wrong with putting puppy in a crate with a marrow bone, closing the door, collapsing on the floor and just saying, I'm going to have one hour of peace and tranquility. There's nothing wrong with doing that. You've got to keep it real. I mean, you know, this is a long term. Talk about, and talking about making idiot decisions. How's this for an idiot decision? You um, are already a veterinary nurse working full-time plus hours. Mm -hmm. when I, and at the time, I was still doing nights on call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you decide to do a master's degree because, mm -hmm. you know, that's a good idea. Yeah. And you decide to start a business because, mm -hmm. you know. That's another good idea. Yeah. And on top of which, you go and get yourself a puppy. And this is me. Yeah, mm -hmm. so the, all of that. So my my recent child, I guess you call him, over just over two years of age, mm -hmm. um, he mm -hmm. had to learn very, very quickly that mm -hmm. a lot of the time that we spent together, he had to be quiet, calm, still. Yeah. You know, yeah. he just wasn't yeah. going to get entertained. 
Yeah. And I think one of the things I definitely learned from that is that quality, mm-hmm. just as it is important with child raising, yeah. it's the quality of the time that you spend yeah. with them rather than the quantity. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you do, I mean, especially when you work from home, because working from, and you know, my friend who's got her puppy now and a bit what I experienced, when you work from home and you have a puppy and you're with them 24 hours a day, I mean, I don't even like being with myself 24 hours a day, let alone being with a puppy 24 hours a day. I mean, we all need some time to decompress and do other things. It, it can make it really, really difficult. It can. And yeah, I mean, I remember Karen Overall, Dr. Karen Overall told me a few years ago that um, she got home from work one day and she would not mind me saying this because I've heard her say this on a stage, that she got home from work one day and both her Aussies were playing up and she went, oh, for God's sake, stop it. And they both kind of went, oh, God, mum's being a bitch today and just wandered off. And Karen said that, you know, their dogs were humans. That kind of stuff happens. You know, they get they can get a bit short with us sometimes. We certainly get frustrated with them sometimes. We're all living beings. We're not robotic. And it's how we deal with it and that we and that we do it and that it's not done as a strategic training option. Um. One of the things that I'm constantly asked, and you may get this question a lot too, is you can't always remove aversives from a dog's environment. Well, of course you can't. We, we can't remove them from our own environment. But what, but what we can do is going into a learning environment is make sure that the aversives stay outside because we want to make that learning environment as productive and as happy and as resourceful as possible. So... As positive reinforcement trainers, we don't take aversives into a training environment, but we also recognize that um, when my dog puts her head outside her dog door and smells um, the neighbors shooting guns, she doesn't like it. She puts her head back in. Nothing I can do about that. That's part of her life. It's an aversive in her environment. There's not a lot you can do. But um, strategically, we're not going to use aversives to train a dog. So now... um, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, so what do you spend most of your time doing now? Are you working in behavior? Are you working in nursing? Are you doing behavior with nursing? Have you got all those balls? Have you still got all those balls up in the air that you're juggling? No, I, um, I finished the master's and I was kind of thinking all of that time, yeah, all that spare time yeah. that I had, um, I was going to push that into the business. and um it's almost exactly the same time as I was just coming down from that every second every spare second is in trying to get your master's finished and it's just complete madness um lockdown happened oh god so yeah then I couldn't train um in real life you know the first lockdown that we had was a proper lockdown um so I couldn't use my business premises and I and so I went straight from doing the master's straight into attempting to start teaching online and getting a a format online that owners could access and um you know three weeks worth of of franticness um are you up and running and then just collapsed actually into lockdown found myself doing Netflix a lot Mm-hmm. um you know mm-hmm. walking dogs which is that was actually mm-hmm. I quite enjoyed lockdown from that aspect mm-hmm. um I did get furloughed off from the veterinary nursing side so right I know that the girls who who did work the veterinary nurses who did work through furlough they're still suffering from it now mm-hmm. you know they're they're yeah. um they were very much mm-hmm. very much struggling with it and yeah so there's a certain amount of guilt in that yeah um, we haven't really come out of lockdown at all <clears throat> as far as the business yeah. is concerned yeah. because I still haven't really been able to use the premises haven't been able to do indoor classes yeah I think we managed a couple of weeks in the middle mm-hmm. and then everybody had to go back online again yeah. but um so what am I doing I reduced my hours ever so slightly I don't do nights for veterinary nursing anymore mm-hmm. um the experience of having proper rest and realizing 
just how much rest I really do need because I'm yeah. a bit of a ignore your body and keep going kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, but given the chance to properly rest, I, yeah. I didn't realise how good I could be at it and I didn't really want to go back to you trying know. to be frantic. Yeah. Good for you. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think these lockdowns have taught some people some valuable lessons. I think one of the things that's come out of it is that I think people have a new appreciation for friends and family and and spending time with people that they care about. I think people have been able to, I know with myself, I've, I've, I've found myself in the last 10 years having quite a one-dimensional life because even though I have five different businesses, they're all dog-related. So I'm always around dog people, you know, that sort of type of person. And I... And then last year I started doing something um, with running. I've always, I've always been a, a, bit, a big runner many, many years. Um, so I took up a running coaching program. And I really enjoyed that because I felt it opened up a brand new dimension to my life. Met new people, different people who have no idea who I was, what I do. Um, and that was really nice and really refreshing and obviously all done virtually. Um, but I think people have also been able to very quickly sort of reinvent what they're doing and put and go, take those services online. And I think some people will keep those services online. Some people will go back to in person. And I think a lot of businesses will keep sort of a, a, a multi-dimensional type offering because I think there are people that you can reach. I was talking to Veronica Sanchez a little bit earlier on who has a fabulous business called Cooperative Pause. She's a service dog coach. Um, and Veronica and I were talking about in-home service dog training as sort of a, a new service. And, and I think it's, it's fascinating. And I think it really shows how creative we can be when you look at how some people have been able to sort of manifest these brand new services and they're able to still reach their clients, which is great, which is great. And I know some people have struggled. Um, and one of the things that I want to do in the next two or three months is to put a panel together and get us all on here to talk through and help coach people that are having problems. Because and that, and I'm going to reference what you said. It took sort of three, you, uh, you know, I think the quote was, it took three weeks of scrabbling to get sort of a virtual offering going. Um, do you, I mean, do you, are you happy with what you've got now? Are you comfortable that what you've got is working? Hey, no, yeah. I, I mean, I'd, I'd love to have a proper mm-hmm. online yeah. course, but there isn't the finances. Yeah. Yeah. As a veterinary nurse, there's no spare yeah. cash. Yeah. And as a brand yeah. new business, there certainly yeah. is no spare cash. So it had to be done on the cheap. So it right. had to be done on a, as a Facebook, um, right. you know, the, the yeah. groups um, and on Zoom, which I didn't pay for because mm-hmm. I think it was worth having that right. wider yeah. scope. Yeah. For, yeah. But, um, but, yeah, very tight financially. So, no, not perfect. Yeah by okay. any means but better than than complete yeah. you, know, yeah. you know having to sign people mm-hmm. off and I was surprised how many people were happy to transfer from live and to mm-hmm. actually stick with it you know yeah. good good well I think I, I think in general I, I I think and again this is a lot of my opinion but initially I think when we took our services virtual we had a lot of clients that were like well I'm not paying for that because they didn't feel they were getting value if they weren't standing directly in front of you and probably these are individuals that through their work or through their personal lives, they're not using sort of meeting technology, online technology. But I think as the, as the pandemic got worse and more and more people were learning how to use Facebook and learning how to use Zoom and they were using Skype. I mean, my mother Skyped me on Christmas Day, for God's sake. My mother can barely turn a laptop on. So, you know, if she had been your demographic customer, if you'd have tried to take her into a virtual lesson a year ago, she would have laughed you out of her house. Whereas, whereas now she would go, oh, yes, I can probably figure out how that works because they've had to embrace it just to keep in contact with friends and family and those, you know, other types of relationships. So um, I, I, I think it's got, I think for those that still have stuck to it, I think it's become easier. Um, and I think as an organization, PPG can do a better job. I think we've done a good job, but I think we can continue to do a good job and a better job at providing more resources for members to help um, to help that learning curve of taking businesses virtual. Because so many people have struggled to do it that there's now this massive bank of knowledge as to what you need to avoid versus what you can do to get up quickly 
whether it's on a shoestring budget or whether it's not. So I think there'd be a value to getting people together to talk about that. Yeah. I think um, definitely that's one thing that the master's degree definitely taught me because um, it just puts you in front of these challenges which feel impossible when when you're first given the assignments and things and, you know, new, brand new things that you have to learn and and get your head around. And so I think having done the master's, Mm-hmm. I kind of went, oh, hey, now we need to do this. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it and figure yeah. it out and yeah. get on with it. Whereas before yeah. the Masters, I would have probably set so many different mm-hmm. problems in front of myself and, and right. you know, not battle through them in the yeah. same way. Yeah. So. I think I think as well, and, and I don't know if this resonates with you, but I did my Master's degree in 2000. And I just moved back. I was working in the Middle East. I just moved back to the US and took on my master's degree. I hadn't been to a formal school for, I don't know, 20 years, maybe, maybe more. And when I got my curriculum and my first coursework, I just went, oh, my God. And when I and when I sat down to study, I just I said to my husband, who's an eternal uh, student and loves learning. I said, I can't do this. I don't know how, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to work through all this material and to regurgitate it in a way that they're expecting. And I've got three years of this. And he just kept saying, just keep plugging, keep. And I actually loved it. And since I finished my master's degree in 2000, there has never been a time, I'm doing three courses right now. There has never been a time when I haven't been enrolled on at least one other course. I just, I love it. But it, I'll tell you what, though, lockdown, the amount of really good free content that yeah, came up, yeah. you know, people offering webinars yeah. and things. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm presently, I've got two courses. I think I've just finished one. I've got two courses on the go. I've still got to finish yeah. that week, to be honest. You know, yeah. I didn't get through it all. Well, I mean, there's um, what, there's 134 sessions. Uh, so I think everybody needed to, to get through them. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, it's on my list of things to make and do. But, yeah. um, and books, you know, yeah. constantly, oh constantly God. buying yeah. books with the view to, to getting yeah. through them. And um, yeah. yeah, I don't, I think Every Geek book. Week was yeah. exactly the right title. Yeah exactly yeah. the right time it was so, it was so much fun and, and it was so much fun but we're obviously going to do it again i mean it was just so much fun to do um and the, obviously and the first not obviously but the first organizing the first one was a little bit like oh because we hadn't done anything of that size and scope before but go, i mean going into this year i'm a lot more relaxed because we know the technology works and we know we can do it and we can sort of coordinate and you know just Managing presenters is like herding cats. I mean, even just one or two, but you get you put 90 of them in the equation. I mean, it literally is a full-time job just communicating with presenters about schedules and content and quality of videos and getting everything submitted. And you obviously have to um, be polite and, and nice because otherwise people don't want to work with you. Um, but we literally had two people just managing presenters for the last three months, just around the clock. It was it was it was amazing, and but they were all absolutely awesome. So it came off really really well. And um, just going back to the comment I made about when I did my master's degree and I got my coursework, every time I go into a client's home, or every time I talk to one of my students through diagnostics, or any time I'm interacting with somebody who hopefully is learning something, I always have to remind myself that um, learning is not always easy, and um, approaching learning can be very intimidating. Um, and if the environmental conditions are not right in terms of trust and support, you are just setting people up for failure. And I think too often, too often, we as dog trainers go into a client's home to teach them something and we lose patience because of that lack of ability to sort of digest the information. Or we go back the next week and it's like they haven't remembered anything. That's the normal process of learning. And I think if you haven't gone into a formal learning environment for many years, because maybe you left university back in the 70s and you haven't been back, it's very easy to forget, isn't it, how uncomfortable it can be for people. And I think we always have to remember that, whether it's working with colleagues or pet owners, 
we've got to remember that it's not always comfortable being a student and our job is to make it as comfortable and as enjoyable as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to be a teacher, oh, you, you yeah. remember the ones, don't you, when you were a kid, mm -hmm. the ones who were horrible to you, yeah. you, you remember yeah. them right from yeah. the beginning. But mm -hmm. I think the yeah. ones that you actually learn from and the ones that you subject you do well in mm -hmm. are the ones that, that make that subject feel like fun. And, mm -hmm. and yeah. if I can't get my clients, to, to laugh right at me if they yeah. like yeah yeah you know I don't yeah. Yeah. care they can laugh at me yeah. they can laugh at my mistakes I don't care but if I can't get them to laugh I don't feel like I'm doing my job properly mm -hmm. I want them to relax yeah. I want them to be prepared to make mistakes yeah I want them to realize that making mistakes is not going to get them well, it's part of the process you know it's part of the learning process yeah yeah I mean, and, and, and isn't it funny because how many positive reinforcement trainers say, you know, dogs have got to be having fun. They've got, well, yes, of course they do. When we're, when I'm training a dog, I want that dog to be feeling really good about itself. I want it to be sort of a bit of a character, you know, having a bit of a, a joke with me because you want that learning. You want the, you want the animal, the topography of the animal's got to be, yeah, this is a lot of fun. And then we look at the owners and they're looking miserable because we're not treating them properly. I mean, we need to wake up to that, that the owner needs to be having as much fun as the dog, as we are. That's our job. That's our job. I can't even, I can't remember which person it was, but it was about 20 odd years ago when I was in a, a I want to say Jean Donaldson, but I'm not sure it was, but she said, whoever this person was, I can't remember. She said, <laughs> if you lose the person, you lose the dog. You, right. know, if right. you you might not be mm -hmm. a person person, which I'm not. I'm terrified of people. You know, mm -hmm. I, I yeah. suffer from anxiety. But I've got to find a way of communicating with yeah. that client that's going to make yeah. them want to stay if mm -hmm. I want to be able to get my hands on their dog. Right. You know, I, you know, if I want to be able to help them. Ian Dunbar said yeah. something very. Ian Dunbar said something very similar. He said, "If we don't, and it's to do with getting results. If we don't get results, we know where they're going, you know. And I think more often than not, we we do ourselves a disservice because we need to be getting results quickly and with fun, so that clients are not branding positive reinforcement as being ineffective, and saying, well, yeah. you know, it all, it all sounds very airy fairy, dandy fandy, but it doesn't bloody work. So I'm going to go find somebody that can give me a little bit of boot camp, um, and I'll, and I'll get the job done. So, yeah. And, you know, I mean, how many times, um, I think Angelica Steinker and I used to laugh about this, you know, how many times does a border collie write a check or take out a credit card or get the car keys or pick up the phone and make an appointment? They don't. The owner does that. The owner is the person that we have to most influence if, if we really want to help the pet in front of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know and you've got to you've got to develop a friendship with them you've yeah. got to find a way yeah regardless of personalities absolutely you've got to find something that you've got yeah. in common with them or some yeah. way of saying look we can do it let's and, and i mean i do I have, I have some brilliant clients you can have a really good laugh with and you can swear at them and you can yeah. tell them off and yeah. that's how yeah. they enjoy it yeah. that's how they yeah. like to learn yeah you know yeah. And then you have other, and then we, we have other clients that are very formal and very um, introverted. And we have to find a way of resonating with them as well. Um, otherwise, they're not going to be calling us back. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. All righty. So, Julie, how, if somebody wants to find you, how can they get hold of you? Well, we're um, on Facebook mostly. Okay. We're also on Google. Um, mm -hmm. Little Tykes Dog Hub. Okay. My business partner does all the bookings. Mm -hmm. So if you're wanting behavior um, mm -hmm. consultations or, you know, specific training right. advice, then you still book through yeah. Little Tykes. Okay. Um, and obviously work on, for mm -hmm. the behavior stuff, work on veterinary referral, right. which is quite often is, is mm -hmm. in-house um, from our own vets, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if your own vet is willing to to refer to little types, then that's fine as well. Got it. Um, so yeah, just on on okay. Facebook, Little Tykes Dog Hub, or on Google, Little Tykes Dog Hub. Obviously, Tyke mm -hmm. being the name of the yeah. dog who started me on the journey in the first place. Yeah, you know. So. Yeah, cute name, very cute name. So, um, rumor has it that PPG next year or this year, pending COVID, might be doing a very informal two or three sort of membership meetups across the British Isles, just, you know, very informal groups of people. So I will definitely reach out to you if we do that, because I'd love to meet you in person. I think that would be fun. Um, and I, I will certainly be up in your part of the world. So I'm going to come look you up. Yeah, that'd be nice. That'd okay. be good. I have seen you speak. I did see you. I think it was, I um, can't remember. It's either going to have been Clicker Expo in the UK or it was Shrags. I can't remember which one you were at, to be yeah. honest, but I have seen you speak. Yeah. And you are very inspirational in your speaking. Oh, thank you very much. Very nice sweet. to see you in real yeah. life. Yeah, and it's also, I think one of the things that we, we were talking with the British Isles Steering Committee a couple of weeks ago, we, we recognize that people have limitations in terms of travel and expenses. So I think what, what, we, what, what we're going to try and do is sort of a, a fun day, very informal fun day, that pe and then people can stay over the, the night before and have dinner and have a few drinks because, you know, you've got to enable people to have a few drinks, but I don't think anybody wants to have a few drinks and then get up and go to a conference. I think it probably needs to be the other way around, actually. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, all right. Hey, listen, thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. It's been fun. And I know we had a couple of um, technology issues at the front, but they all seem to just disappear as soon as we went live. So that was great. Good. Thank you very much for having me. It's um, You're welcome. Yeah, so another new experience in my well, life. Yeah, good so, for you. I'll, I'll, always, I'll... Always... Go on. Sorry, always growing and learning, Absolutely. you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And no, no more imposter syndrome. Yeah, no, I think I think at my age now, um, it's probably there to stay. I just have to right. learn to live with it. Yeah. You know, I've got I've got enough really good friends who've tried yeah. to talk yeah. me out of it and yeah, you know. Well, I mean you're doing a really good job. That. Yeah. I mean I mean you you've got a great education, you're doing a really good job. So, um, you know, I, I know you say you have it, but you don't come across like that. You come across as a highly competent professional. So, um, yeah, just wanted to say that to you. Yeah. You see, and it goes, it's like water off a duck's back. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it never manages to hit home. Um, you know, but I think perhaps that underlying degree of modesty is one of the reasons why people can come to me, you know, mm -hmm. that they're not. Yeah, it's all part of your yeah, personality. Yeah, it's all part of your personality, yeah. and, what, and what makes you good at what you do. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Well, thank you very much. I know. I know. It's what time is it in the UK now? Must be like eight o'clock. Uh, no. Yeah. Nearly nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your yeah. Friday evening with me, um, and I look forward to talking Go to you ahead. in the future. All right. And you. Thank you Take for care. having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Pet Professional Guild members, don't let 2021 be just another year. Dogbiz wants to help you make it your best year yet. For almost 20 years, their business has been to help yours succeed, and group coaching has become their favorite way to do it. So they're inviting PPG members to join their group coaching program, Thrive. Thrive is a supportive brain trust made up of dogbiz coaches and fellow positive reinforcement trainers who meet weekly to navigate a path to success. Enrollment for 2021 is open from January the 20th to January the 26th. So how can you enroll? Find out more at www.dogbizsuccess.com backslash thrive.